As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and after a final match day of red cards, golazzos and far too much snow in northern Italy, we're looking back on the group stages of the Champions League. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me today is a man who always finishes in the proverbial top two of his group when it comes to podcasting and <laughs> beard growing, Taylor Rockwell. Hey, I was uh, I was second to arrive for the recording session today. So in that way, I think I do qualify for the next round. Sorry to Joe, who has to go to the podcasting Europa League, and to Graham, who uh, has to focus on his domestic responsibilities. Hang on. So you, you turn up first for the first time out of hundreds of recordings, and now you suddenly <laughs> get in the, in the top two. Is that right? Yeah, that's how it works. Cool. Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, t- Taylor, uh, five more minutes, guys. Rockwell was the second one to show up today. Yes, that is true. Oh, well, listener, if only you knew. Also, here is the man who is the t- statistical analysis. What Bayern Munich is to relentless pressing is Joe Lowry. Oh, my goodness, Ryan. You came out hot, and I'm kind of here for it. Also, I'll take any comparison to Bayern Munich. I think, for the most part, at least when it comes to their on-field stuff, they are flying right now. They certainly are. I'll tell you what, though, Joe. Empty stadia, stadiums, stadia. I'm going to go stadia. Um, this this match week with uh, Champions League in Germany and Austria, I didn't like it. No, I mean it, it's not as fun. And Graham, I think you tweeted something. Sorry, Graham's not technically here yet. He's <laughs> here. He, Ryan just hasn't introduced him yet. Our our mystery fourth person on this show tweeted something <laughs> about like I haven't missed pandemic football, and I could not agree with that more. It's just it's a bummer, and I I really hope that we get out of this soon. Absolutely. I agree, Joe Lowry. Also, here is a man whose analysis is as striking as those lovely Inter Milan away kits and whose intro was ruined by Joe Lowry. <laughs> Graham Ruffin. Surprise, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those, those Inter Milan kits are very nice. They, I, they're one of my favourites in the Champions League this season. So, uh, yes, I, I agree. Ryan, they are very striking. It's actually one I don't own, but that could change. Christmas is coming up. That's true. Is that a hint? You want me to get you one? <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, fine. New laptop and shirt for Graham. Very well. Santa is going to be very busy with you, Graham. I think that kit is really cool. And it's the best kit I've ever seen a player wear crawling through an, an opponent's legs before getting a red card. 
<laughs> I mean, is is that a large sample size or or just a sample size of one player who's done that? You'd be surprised, Graham. You'd be surprised. Um, we are talking Champions League in this episode. Uh, a lovely statistic here from Paul Carr on Twitter. A record-tying nine U- US internationals played a record 38 group games this Champions League season. That's eight more than the previous record. Taylor, did it make you run outside in your yard and fire your gun in the air like Yosemite Sam? <laughs> I wasn't ready for the Yosemite Sam twist. I thought it was going to be an anti-American dig. And instead, we went Looney Tunes. And I'll take that. I'm not even going to respond to the rest of the question. I'm just going to say, yes, it did, Ryan. Yes, and it did. I could could really picture you doing that when you were excited. I don't own a firearm. I should add that. You also don't have the red hair or the red beard. But I I think we could get there, Taylor, with a little dye. I have red in my beard. And I will say there are moments when my wife and I... Uh, try to contain our concern as we look at our daughter and wonder if she's going to have red hair. Not going to lie. <laughs> okay, I think we've just alienated a certain portion of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, most of them Scottish, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move swiftly on and talk Champions League, shall we? As I say, the group stage has concluded. Well, actually, as we record, it hasn't concluded. There's one more game to go because that snow in Bergamo preventing uh, Atalanta and Villarreal from uh, duking it out. We'll get to that in a moment, though. Why don't we start off, alphabetically speaking, with Group A, Man City and PSG are through. Erby Leipzig are through to the Europa League and Club Bruges are out. Bruges, by the way, lost four games in a row, conceding at least four goals in each of those games. Yikes. Um, Why don't we start a bit with PSG? Graham, they have three really good strikers and they're not allowed to drop any of them. Is that a problem? (laughs) I think it it is a bit of a problem for them, to be honest. And this this final group match that they played against Brugge and okay it's against Brugge and and PSG um you know we're already through but it it kind of proved to me that I think there is a better balance to their team when they don't have to play one of the three and in this case it was it was Neymar and I think of the three he's probably the one that you would drop just I think his his standard at the moment is lower than Messi's and Mbappe's. Also, tactically, you know, Mbappe can be the one to run in behind, and Messi can be the one to drop deep and create. Whereas Neymar is often kind of left on the peripheries of thing on the on the left side. And I just felt like having Di Maria in that front line over uh, Neymar, as was as was the case against Brugge, it just felt like there was a a much better balance. And actually, when you look at the statistics, I wrote a, a piece for Eurosport on this. The the PSG's win percentage with Neymar stands at 64% um, and without Neymar it's, uh, it goes up to 85% and the, the stats also are, are much stronger on goals scored and obviously um, points per game which you would expect given their win percentage is higher but I, I just think that as I say there was a, there was a, there was a better balance to PSG without him and interestingly this was the best that I'd seen Messi play for PSG it was in this final group game I say interestingly because a big piece of the narrative about Messi going to PSG was that he'd be reunited with Neymar and a player who he'd worked so well with at Barcelona but I haven't really seen signs or great signs of that relationship um, you know sparking up again and yes PSG they did draw at the weekend against Lons with without Neymar okay maybe that is a counterpoint to my argument but I just thought there was enough in this performance against Brugge to suggest that, yes, Neymar is going to probably play most league on matches, but when push comes to shove in the big games in the Champions League, it wouldn't surprise me if Pochettino um, kind of sacrificed him from his team for those matches. Graham, is there 
Is there any way this season ends well for Pochettino? Like you, everything you've said is is accurate and makes a lot of sense. But it it points to the idea that is a completely poisoned chalice. That if he doesn't win, then he's failed. And if he does win, but he drops big name players, then that's going to be a source of contention. I, I struggle to see a way in which this ends on a positive for him, short of them winning the Champions League with that sort of front three in place. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a very difficult job, and it reminds me of the jobs that um, the kind of original Galacticos managers had, where Vicente Del Bosque gets sacked after winning the Champions League in 2002, I think that was, and it didn't. It just felt like politically it was very difficult to, to coach that team, and it's very similar with this PSG team and, and, and Pochettino. Politically, I think the the player that of the of the three superstars, the player that is easiest to drop is probably Kylian Mbappe, given his contract situation, given that at the start of the season... A lot of the PSG fans voiced their uh, disgruntlement, I think you could say, with, with, with Mbappe. So maybe dropping him is actually the, the easiest decision to make. But as I say, tactically, and just in terms of Mbappe's level as well at the moment, it, it really probably should be Neymar. Joe, why don't we turn our attention to Manchester City, who did top this group above PSG. Um, they are very good, but they did lose two games here, including the most recent um, match day against RB Leipzig. I think it's fascinating to tie City to PSG because they were sort of naturally tied together when this group came out. And you see Tyler Adams, a live video of Tyler Adams realizing that him and RB Leipzig were going to have to face off with these two giants. They are two of the biggest teams in the world right now, funded by a lot of money. These two teams are, are tied at the hip in this competition. We've already kind of dove into PSG and their lack of balance. And maybe they're better off without one of those front three members. I think there's a really good argument to be made there, especially when you look at some of their defensive numbers and how leaky they were in the Champions League, how leaky they've been in the Champions League. City in comparison, though, there's a there's a massive difference there. They are a team. They are well-rounded. Yes, there's been conversation about do they need a nine, but this team is clearly a team. They are a unit. They have actual squad balance. They have balance in terms of how they play. They're not overly vulnerable defensively. They've been one of the best teams in the Champions League so far in the group stage in terms of expected goals allowed. They don't give up many chances, and they get a lot of chances for themselves. They're incredibly strong, and I think the, the contrast between City and PSG is really, really stark. And I'm just interested to see what each of these teams' paths through the knockout rounds are going to look like. Who are they playing? How far do each of them go? Because if I had to pick one right now, my money's on City. Ooh, Taylor, anything more on Group A before we move on to Group B, sir? I, I have a question for Joe. Uh, based on what he was just saying, Joe, with the issues we're talking about with PSG, uh, like I know this wouldn't happen, but if City could loan a player from PSG in that would make Pochettino's life easier, but also make City better, sort of <laughs> suit an area of need, who would that be? Like, is it Mauro Icardi or is it one of those kind of bigger names? It's got to be Mbappe or or someone in the attacking court oh, yeah, that's a duh, to try and that's restore balance for for Poch, right? So that helps that helps PSG, and it does give City another just incredible attacker who can play a bit more centrally and give them some movement in and around the box. So I would I would pick Mbappe for that. All right, Mbappe to Man City confirmed by Joe Lowry. Mm, pack your bags, Killian. It looks like you're on the move. Group B, Liverpool and Atletico Madrid are through in the top two spots. Porto move on to the Europa League spot and AC Milan crashed out with their loss to Liverpool 
on Tuesday. This one, Taylor, has been uh, touted as a group of death. The champions of Spain and three clubs with a combined 14 Champions League titles between them. Liverpool, uh, despite that t- uh, tag, uh, winning all of their games, becoming the first English team in Champions League history to win all six of their group games. Taylor, was this the group of deathiest group of death that ever group of death? So I think it's a really interesting question. Uh, I did a little bit of research on this one. I think there's maybe only one other rival to it. Uh, I would say the honorable mention would be 1998-1999, the group that had Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Manchester United, and Bronby. And that's the downside, because there were two finalists in that one. The 1999 final would be Bayern versus uh, Man United, quite famously in my mind. Uh, but uh, Daryl Grove had the rule that if one of the teams in the group was obviously weaker... You couldn't say, like, it's three quarters of a group of death. Do you all subscribe to that same idea? Do all four have to be good for it to be a group of death? Yeah. Yes. I think so. And that's why in the Euros, even though, you know, Hungary were, um, mm-hmm. you know, were fairly fairly decent and they held their own in that competition, like, they, that group of death, which was, uh, this is totally off the top of my head now, this seems like so long ago, but what was that, Ger- Germany, France, and Portugal in that group, I think, oh, with Hungary? Right. Yeah, um, but Hungary being in that group just m- maybe brought it down in maybe the same way that Bronby brought down that group you were talking about there. And and in this group you have Porto who are mm-hmm. have a great pedigree and are a good team. So with that in mind, I would say the only other candidate would be 2012, 2013. You have Borussia Dortmund, you have Real Madrid, you have Ajax, and you have Man City all respective league champions at that time. So I would say that would be the other contender for greatest group of death in Champions League in the modern era, I should add. Uh, But yes, this one was pretty great. And I think we did get sort of the ups and downs that you get when you have four very good teams in a group, some very good soccer, some very bad soccer, some gamesmanship to find a way through if you are uh, Atleti. And in the end, (laughs) they did just that. They did indeed. The gamesmanship uh, on full display in uh, this. This must have been one of the poop housiest games uh-huh. uh, in recent history, <laughs> Taylor. The Porto Atletico Madrid three one winners were Atleti in this one, but pretty ill tempered. A few red cards, qualification on the line after all. But uh, yeah, a lot of antics in that one, Taylor. Yeah, and and it's funny because so much of the uh, analysis of this current Atleti team, and probably correctly, is that they are inconsistent. Sometimes they're very good, sometimes they're poor. They concede a lot of goals. I think uh, in their uh, La Liga matches so far, in their first 15 La Liga matches, they've conceded 16 goals at this stage. Last season, they'd let in six. So they're... They're not quite as rock solid in defense. There are questions about the attack and where certain players are fitting in. And yet, with all all that said, they have that Atleti DNA that when push comes to shove, they will shove and also push. (laughs) I did not mean for that joke to work that way, but it did, and I'm cool with it. And so in this game, they get a red card, I would say uh, justifiably, then they are able to draw a red card in this one. And there's that just sort of ability to frustrate that takes the opponent out of the game a little bit or makes them focus less on the game and more on that frustration and in that level of back and forth and chaos i think atletico really thrives and tend to find a way to make something happen and that's just what they did on the day indeed graham uh, are we surprised by milan's progress in this group finishing bottom as they did with four losses i've uh, heard a few milan apologists uh giving lines like oh that you know they're a young squad and they're focusing on the league but i'm seeing a team that is top of Serie A finishing bottom of this group and i don't know if that's an indictment on their league is it mm. i think is this there's a lot of nuance to to 
find an answer to that question. I think the fact that they finished bottom of this group is is not good. That should be considered a failure. I don't think it's an abject failure to not make it out of this group, given the quality of the group. You have Liverpool and Atleti going through. If you told me that at Liverpool and Atleti are going through over at AC Milan before a ball had been kicked, that that maybe might have sounded right. You know, that's maybe where you would have placed AC Milan. But the, the standard of their performance was was very low. And I think so much was made of their return to the Champions League after seven years this season that, as I say, it's it's underwhelming that they finished bottom of the group with just one win from, from six games. And there has been a lot of discussion in the Italian press about what what does this mean? Because obviously, as you say there, Ryan, this is a team that's sitting top of, of Serie A at the moment. They're probably favourites to win the Scudetto, um, yet they, they didn't make it through their Champions League group. I don't I don't think it's fair to take it as an indictment of a of a whole league a whole league, considering, you know, there are other teams, you know, Juventus finished top of their group ahead of the European champions. Inter Milan make it through their group pretty comfortably uh, in a group that involved Real Madrid and Shakhtar Donetsk and Sheriff Tiraspol, who were the surprise package of the whole tournament. So, as I say, I don't think you can you can take it as an indictment of a whole league, but I do think there are, there's there's some weight in the argument that this is a, this is a young team that uh, Pioli has built, and I just wonder if a lack of experience besides Zlatan and Giroud, I guess, um, that maybe cost them in the end, because it just felt like a number of the games that they played... They allowed the situation to get away from them. We actually saw them play a number of of good matches. You know, one of the best performances I've seen from AC Milan this season was away to Atletico Madrid, um, where they where they win that match. So th- that kind of proved that there is a good team in there. It was just about managing games and the situation. I don't think they did that too well. All right, um, Joe, can I flip that question slightly and put a Liverpool bent on it? Uh, if it's, if this isn't an indictment of Serie A, what does it say about the Premier League that Liverpool went through this very difficult group uh, with such good results and they look pretty impressive and even with a, a relatively makeshift team um, dis- dispatching Milan on the last group day- game there? This data point, this Champions League group stage and, and other data points that we have all point to the fact that the top of the Premier League is better than the top of any other league in the world right now. Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea a little bit underneath those two, but all three of them having different amounts of success, but still success in the group stage, all three advancing. Liverpool were brilliant. They're one of only three teams in the competition so far that won all six group stage games, right? And you talked about how they're the only uh, English team to ever do that in the Champions League. They're incredible right now. And the top of the Premier League is ridiculously strong with Pep and with Klopp leading those two teams. And then Tuchel doing... Obviously, there's there's been bumps in the road there, and maybe we'll talk about that later. But Tuchel still having relative success with that group and having them in the conversation for trophies after winning the Champions League last season. It's it's strong, Ryan. It's so strong right now. It is strong. Taylor, strong, right? Strong. strong. Very strong. I mean, I, I think for as much as we talk about this being the group of death, and I think that that is justifiable, you look at the sort of up and down or lack of form uh, performances from the other three teams in this group. And then you see the consistency of Liverpool, including winning away on the final day when they had obviously already secured qualification and top spot. But they then give uh, some opportunities to maybe like more squad players or Tyler Morton, 19-year-old gets his, I believe, debut starting at the heart of that midfield. Like there's, there's a lot to be excited about if you are a Liverpool fan and a lot less to be excited about if you are the team that faces Liverpool in the next round. 
Indeed. The draw, is it next Monday? I think it's Monday, isn't it, the draw? We can discuss that later on as well. But why don't we for now talk about Group C? Ajax and Sporting Lisbon are through in the top two slots. Ajax also with a perfect record and also the first Dutch club to get through with six wins uh, in the Champions League group stage. Dortmund, however, into the Europa League and Besiktas are going home with six losses. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Um, Taylor, I'll come to you first. What are your impressions of this group? Ajax are very fun to watch. And are they going to sort of go deep in this contest again, possibly? I mean, I I think there's every chance they do. And I think uh, if they do so, a large part of that will be because Sebastian Allaire continues to score goals. Top scorer in the Champions League right now. I know we all predicted that before this uh this Champions League uh campaign kicked off. We all knew it was gonna be him. The guy who left West West Ham with it not working out at all goes back to Ajax and now has ten goals uh in the Champions League group stage. Very well done by him, but very well done by this Ajax team under Eric Ten Hag. The way they press but then can slow down and possess if they need to or possess with pace if they need to and switch the point of attack and sort of just be suffocating to opponents. I think they are going to be a big, big challenge as they move into the knockout round. We said that before and they've been eliminated. We've said it before and they made it to the semifinals. But I I would expect this IX team, or at least maybe I hope and expect this IX team makes a bit of a run because they are just so very entertaining to watch. They are. Joe, you love yourself some Ajax, don't you? Oh, I do. And Taylor Taylor nailed the monologue. Like he said pretty much everything I wanted to say. Sorry, Joe. The balance, the balance of this team is almost perfect. It's not perfect, but they have quality out wide. One name you didn't mention, Taylor, that I'll slide in is Anthony. He is ridiculous, and we've talked about him plenty in the past. He's he's able to cause a lot of problems for opposing defenses on the on the right wing for Ajax. Dusan Tadic over on the left. They have this attacking power with Haller. And then they've got balance in midfield with Gravenberg and with uh, Edson Alvarez. Those two players complement each other really well. Alvarez does a ton of the dirty work in defensive transition and, and is a perfect fit for this squad. So yeah, I love what Eric Ten Hag is doing, what he has done. And, and for me, Ajax are one of the stories in soccer right now. How about Borussia Dortmund, Graham Rosvin? Uh If my math is correct, I think they could have, uh, with a four-goal swing, they could have got uh, the Champions League spot. <laughs> However, they did not, even though they got a 5-0 win on the final day. Yeah, and I, I think the the fact that they they didn't really stand a chance of, of making the last 16 in that final group game is, is, is an indictment on how their season has gone. It's kind of swung wildly from one extreme to the other, even in terms of some of their Bundesliga performances as well. And one of the storylines that I took out of Dortmund not making it into the last 16 um, concerned their best player, I think it's fair to say, although Jude Bellingham is playing at a very high level at the moment, but I still still think Erlen Haaland is their best player. And it feels like he is at a bit of a a crossroads in his career. So Dortmund not making it into the Champions League last 16, I think accentuates the feeling a lot of people have that he that he might be moving on if not in January then then in the summer he's not going to be at the World Cup um, either next year which I know there's nothing he can do about that uh, despite the fact that he was born in Leeds he has um, 15 caps for Norway so uh, that opportunity to play for anyone else is, is uh, has passed him by but it, it just accentuates the, the sense that people are getting that he, he might look to have a, a greater platform than Dortmund are giving him at the moment I think there's even been comments from Michael Zork their sporting director that he, he's admitted there are certain conditions that mean he can leave 
I wonder if one of those conditions is that Dortmund need to be in the Champions League. I wonder if there's maybe some sort of incentive there. So, yes, it feels like there will be, as there's always a lot of speculation around Erling Haaland, but it feels like it might be particularly pointed in the coming weeks um, as Dortmund kind of weigh up the damage of not making the last 16. Graham, I've actually read his contract, and I think the number one clause for him being allowed to move is whenever Bayern Munich pick up the phone. I think that's how it works. <laughs> oh, don't, Taylor, don't. I can't face him going to Bayern Munich. They're too good already. It, it feels like the way it's going to go in my mind. Like, maybe he's at Madrid. Maybe he decides to go to PSG. Maybe Maybe he ends up in England. I have heard from various sources that he does not love the physicality of the Premier League, which surprises me because he is a physical person. But I, Graham, I take your point, yeah. though, that like, look at those last two games for a moment. And if ever there were reminders for uh, Erling Haaland that maybe Dortmund are close but not quite there, losing 3-2 to Bayern Munich and then scoring five past uh, Besiktas but not being able to advance because you lost previously to Sporting is a sort of reminder that like just you're almost there but not quite and that has been the case for Dortmund for quite some time so I take your point that that might be a an important moment in his uh, Dortmund career however short it might be yeah and Dortmund also got hammered by Ajax on the game week three as well lest we forget Graham I just wanted to um pull some attention to sporting as well um obviously finishing second in this group. They, they've flown under my radar a little bit. Should we consider them a dark horse? Um, it depends what you mean by a dark horse. I don't think they're going to win the Champions League and it might be the case that they get they get knocked out of the, of the next round. But I do, I do think in another season where Ajax aren't the team with all the exciting young players making their mark in the Champions League and in a season where Sporting aren't drawn in the same group as Ajax, Sporting are probably a bigger story than they have been so far. And I think um, they have a really exciting core of players at the moment. So players like Pedro Gonçalves, who is more commonly known by a nickname that I have never been able to pronounce. It's spelled P-O-T-E. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. I've saw it, I've seen it written down a number of times, so I'm just going to call him Pedro Gonçalves. He's a he's a goal-scoring midfielder who, by the way, is absolutely brilliant on Football Manager. Uh, if you're looking for a player of that type and you've got around £40 million to spend, I have bought him a number of times. Um, another player that they've got is Yao Palinha, who is more of a, a midfield anchor. Both of those players are Portuguese, and I expect they will be a, a key part of that Portuguese national team team for a long time to come they've not really forced their way in yet but I think as that generational transition happens they will become very familiar players at major tournaments Pedro Porro as well Gonzalo Inacio who's a very promising young defender and then kind of similar to Ajax they've added some more experienced players um, with a bit of proven quality so one of the names is uh, Pablo Sarabia who obviously had a very good Euros I think a bit of a coup that they've managed to get him from from uh, PSG he was at previously he's been very good for them and then another player um, who's a bit of a forgotten figure for Premier League fans is uh, Sebastian Coates yeah. and by the way it is Coates, not Coates, as a lot of people say, because Sebastian Coates has Scottish ancestry. So it's Sebastian Coates, because Coates is a Scottish name. A lot of people say it Coates. Anyway, uh, Sporting, I don't think, are quite at Ajax's level. They probably, as I say, they, they're probably not going to go all the way in the Champions League. But they'll certainly be a tricky last 16 tie for, for someone, I think. Graham, I've got an important update for you. Uh, how do you say that man's name one more time? Coates. Uh, the way you pronounce the player you are talking about is as though it's B or as though it's boat, but with a P. So it's Coates and it's Pot, I believe. Ah, right. Okay. That, that's, that's what helpful. a YouTube comment tells me. And YouTube has never lied. 
He's, he's just one of these players I've watched a number of times. I've written about him and I've just never uh, learned how to pronounce the nickname that everyone calls him by. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, my pleasure. All right. The more you know. Taylor, before we leave this group as our Istanbul correspondent, I don't know much about Besiktas yep. apart from they've been disappointing here. They've got Kyle Laren and they lost six games. Yeah, they are historically the like third richest club in Turkey, but that is a, a pretty sizable gap because uh, Fener and Galatasaray have more money. Besiktas, the, the party of the working class, the blue collar team uh, more often, but not having a very good season, currently ninth in the Turkish Super League. Uh, they have Ooh. lost, I think, four of their last five. I would assume some things will change there. This is how it tends to go for them. They have a couple of very good seasons. They overspend a little bit. They take some time getting back from that one. Maybe a few years later, they come back and are very good again. And it seems like they are in sort of that downward spiral right now. Wonderful stuff. Not for them, though. Not so much. All right. That's uh, groups A through C. The alphabet tells me it'll be group D after this short break. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are going through the Champions League group stage and we have reached Group D. Real Madrid finished top uh, after a 2-0 win over Inter Milan in which um, um, Barella was sent off for crawling through someone's legs and doing some fouls. Uh, Inter are through as well, of course, in second place. Uh, Sheriff Tiraspol, surely. Is that is that not the biggest story of this um, of this tournament so far? Getting into the Europa League, Graham, with seven points. That's massive for them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was massive that they qualified in, in, in the first place, to be honest. I think they were already one of the, the biggest storylines of the whole competition just being in the group. So yes, the fact that they made it into the Europa League ahead of Shakhtar Donetsk, who have a, a budget about 100 times bigger than, than, than they do, yeah. is, is a massive achievement. I still, I'm still, given the way that they started the group, I'm still disappointed that they, they didn't qualify for the last 16, because that would have been sensational. And I think we said that in the podcast previously, if that had happened, it would have been up there with Leicester winning the Premier League as one of the, the biggest footballing upsets of, of the modern era. It would yeah. have been incredible. So... I'm still disappointed that they didn't finish in the top two, but yes, you're right. What an achievement. 
they, as you say, Graham, they started this group with two wins over Chateau Donetsk and Real Madrid at the Bernabeu, uh, lest we forget there. Uh, and Tiraspol, as a reminder, listener, uh, if they're Moldova, Europe's poorest nation, and they're getting, a, I think, a guaranteed around $19 million in prize money for their troubles uh, for participating here. Um, they played eight qualifying games just to get to this stage. The first one was all the way back on July 7th. Uh, that's how long their journey has been to get here. And also their badge, um, their crest was made on Clipper, I think, as well. So it's so <laughs> very, very impressive for them. Um, Joe, how do we feel about Real Madrid at the moment? They're topping this group. Um, Carlo Ancelotti at the helm. Your thoughts? Okay, first, real quick, one number on Sheriff Tiras Bowl. They're averaging through the group stage. They averaged 29.3% possession. 293 <laughs> The lowest of any team in the group stage by more than 8%. Malmo was number two with 375 that's wild to me. They just tried to sit and defend, and it worked for them at least early on. Crazy. That's, that whole story is crazy, and I just thought that number was crazy, so I wanted to share. Real Madrid. I have, I have some concerns about this Real Madrid team, especially when you, when you dive into some of the numbers. But also it comes up when you watch this team. We talked about Carlo Ancelotti yesterday on, on Wednesday in the TSS feed in our listener question show. He's not all about the rigid tactical play. And in, at, some, at some points, that works out for Real Madrid. And based on points, it has worked out for them so far through the group stage. On talent, they are still one of the best teams in Europe. And I do think they'll win at least one game in the knockout rounds. I'm not entirely sold that they're a better team than Inter Milan, though. I have some questions about how the, the squad is built and what the balance looks like there. But you really can't argue too much with how this group played out generally with Real Madrid and Inter advancing to the knockout stages. Taylor, what do we think about Inter Milan here? I, I had the pleasure of watching them drink Roma's milkshake in person <laughs> last um, last weekend. They look very, very <laughs> impressive here. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on, the, on the, their progress in this competition, finishing in second in this group? I, I think it's extremely impressive when you look at the summer they had where they lose their manager, they lose two of their marquee players that they expected would be there for longer than one season, I would have guessed. I think for them to continue <laughs> to be performing as they are, to be in the, the title conversations in Serie A, but then to have advanced out of this group, I would say not the most group of deathiest group, but still, uh, I think that you have to kind of make it to the next round to make it to the next round, and they did just that. So I think credit to Inter. Credit to Inter indeed. Graham, credit to Inter? Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure what I think of Inter at the moment, to be honest, because obviously Simone, Simone Inzaghi has come in and, and tried to kind of use a lot of the the same ideas that that Conte used with this team, and it, and it feels like he has um, he's achieved a bit of success in that, but sometimes I watch this Inter team and it feels like they're in ideological no-man's land a little bit, where... They're they're playing like Conte's team a little bit, but he's Inzaghi wants them to be slightly more expansive. And there's the, similar to kind of how I think Atleti have played at times this season that they kind of get stuck in between the two. I would I would personally um, kind of disagree with with Joe's point about Real Madrid and Inter. I think Real Madrid are a better team than Inter, but just because I think they are closer to being like a finished product, I think Inter could be a better team than Real Madrid. Maybe in the second half of the season. But I think Real Madrid, just when I look at a, a number of the players that are they're playing really well for them at the, at the moment, you know, Alaba looks like being one of the signings of the season. Modric is playing at a really high level, same with Toni Kroos. Um, and I think Eder Militao has kind of grown into the Ramos replacement that I don't think many thought he could be. And then there's Benzema and Vinicius. So I just feel like Real Madrid are maybe, they're more comfortable in their own skin than, than Inter at the moment. But we'll see if that, that um, maintains into the knockout rounds in the second half of the season. 
This was um, an interesting group because last season, Group B also had Real Madrid, Inter Milan and Shakhtar Donetsk in it. They were joined by Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, that season, it was Real Madrid and Gladbach who went through to the um, knockout stages. And Shakhtar got the uh, Europa League spot and Inter, Inter Milan went out uh, on their hides in fourth place. Shakhtar, I think it's it's impressive that... I mean, it's not impressive that they finished bottom of this group, but you have to bear in mind... They haven't played a home game in it's around seven years now. <laughs> they've been playing at the Olympic Stadium in Kiev uh, for this for this season. They've been moving all around the place. They've been playing in Lviv and, and Kharkiv and, and a few other places. Um, so a, a lot of turmoil for that club, but they still do tend to show up, Graham, in the Champions League. And at least there's the consistency in that. Yeah, and I think we often forget that Shakhtar Donetsk historically are not you know, they're not a Champions League club, they're not a, a big club. And so they've kind of made this identity for themselves where they, they go to South America, particularly Brazil. They they have they make their sales pitch to these players that if they come there to those to that club, they'll get their chance in the Champions League and they've made a real industry out of it. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for, for how they have done that because that is the thing that kind of sustains them at this level. And as you say, I often I often forget that they haven't played at the is it the Donbass Arena? Is that what it's called That's in, right. in Donetsk? Yeah, yep. they haven't played there for for a long time, so that that can't be helping them in tournaments like this. Definitely not. A war-torn region now, unfortunately, since 2014, is the Donbass Arena. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Group E. Bayern Munich go through top, winning all six games. 100% record for them. That's something they are relatively familiar with doing, of course. Uh, Benfica also threw in second place. They're through uh, to the knockout round for the first time since 2016-17. What's this? Third place, Barcelona into the Europa League, out at the group stage for the first time in 21 years, Taylor, with just two wins and a draw to their name in this one. Uh, Fun fact for you, they lost an aggregate uh, 6-0 to Bayern Munich in this group. Two three nils, same differential as an eight two Taylor. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Liu, writing for the Guardian, had a good line. Barcelona came with no greater aim than to limit the damage caused by their opponents, and they couldn't even do that. It has been a fairly damning indictment uh, of Barcelona uh, this game. The way they looked pretty dominated from start to finish, how they kind of slowly stopped trying to attack and just tried to hold on. And I think for a lot of the the coverage that I have seen and from what of the game I saw, it did feel like Bayern Munich never really had to press themselves that hard to figure out Barcelona. I think it t- took them about 20 minutes to sort of sort things out, figure out where the opportunities were, where the gaps were opening up, and then exploited them pretty effectively. Did not love that one of those gaps seemed to be the area of the pitch where Serginho Dest tended to be, and especially <laughs> did not enjoy the moment early on. I think it was like the... 16th minute of the 15th minute when Alfonso Davies just breezes past Serginho Dest in the snow while wearing red. And that feels like a thing we might see when the U.S. goes to Canada. So <laughs> there was there was a little bit of like pre-flashbacks. I don't know what that would be. It's a, it's a little bit of a precog moment for me. But I thought Dest, other than that, was was fine, mostly because I think Barcelona were so poor that a fine performance made it look okay for Dest. But overall... Pretty poor from Barcelona. I do feel bad for, say, Rangers, who could potentially draw them in the Europa League. That feels like a little bit of a punishment to Rangers for making it where they did. But uh, maybe that'll be good for the turnstiles. Less so for Barcelona, I would say. The the most su- surprising thing about the Barcelona performance was how shocked they seemed to be that Davies was running right? at them. <laughs> Which was like, <laughs> have you ever watched Alfonso Davies and Bayern Munich and how they play? It just seemed like... 
they had no they they hadn't prepared for that in any way at all. So I do have some sympathy for Dest and that it felt like he was left all on his own to deal with that situation with absolutely zero help from either his manager or his teammates. But yeah, it, it didn't say a lot for the preparation of this Barcelona team. Yeah, Thomas Muller quoted after the game, Barca cannot cope with the intensity. Technically, they have it all, great players, technical and tactical level, but they can't compete at maximum intensity in top-tier football, said Muller, as he retracted the knife from Xavi's um, writhing body on the floor. <laughs> Joe, uh, Xavi actually said after the game as well, his quote, Barca does not de- deserve this. Um, they do? Yeah, I don't know how much he was paid to say that on top of what he's already making. This is... It's insane to me. This is about the least surprising thing that could have happened. That says a ton about the state of this club, the state of Barcelona. It's not a surprise that they didn't advance out of this group, right? That they finished third behind Bayern and Benfica. It's not a surprise when they turn up and lose 3-0 to Barcelona. It's we've it, Things have been building to this, right? We've been waiting for this to happen, and it's happened. So it, it feels weird. It feels strange that this has happened because it's been 20-something years, like you mentioned, Ryan, since Barca didn't advance from the group stage to the knockout rounds. And Xavi was actually on that team as a player back in 2000-2001. But it's not a surprise based off of everything we've seen behind the scenes, trying to get their feet under them, under Xavi, trying to rebuild this squad and overcome an incredible amount of foolish decisions that have been made in that club. It's not It's not a surprise. Bayern are infinitely better than this Barca team right now, and Benfica proved it that, that they are as well. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, are Bayern infinitely better than most teams in this competition? It does seem like their their intensity is pretty great and it's, it was it was excellent against Dortmund at the weekend as well. It seems like they're in a good spot right now. Yeah, uh, without Joshua Kimmich, no less, who will be out. I, when I first read the tweet, I will own uh, Derek Ray's tweet about Joshua Kimmich. I thought he was saying for the rest of the season that Kimmich would be out dealing with lung issues as a result of COVID. Uh, but then I read it, reading it again, I think somebody put, put it out on Twitter. It says for the rest of the year. So I think he'll miss until until like the next three games of this year and be back in 2022 after the maybe the winter break. But with that said, mm. yes, Bayern, very impressive. And I also sort of enjoyed, I will say, I enjoyed the empty stadium. I know you all talked about this in the introduction because it did allow us to hear so much of the communication. And a lot of it, if, if I am correct in saying that Julian Nagelsmann has a slightly higher pitched voice that screams a lot, you could hear him many, many times. And I did enjoy the moment just before Leroy Sané scored the goal when uh, Kingsley Coleman was on the ball and dribbling. And you could just hear, Leroy! Leroy! And then the ball goes to him, he shoots, and they score. So credit to Nagelsmann for spotting that one. Credit to Nagelsmann for sort of hitting the ground running with this Bayern team, who you could expect him to do that. They have the talent. We know they're very good, but that was not the case for Nico Kovac. So that uh, Nagelsmann has gotten this team sort of functioning pretty well. Seems like the squad is pretty harmonious. It's a credit to him. It's a credit to Bayern. And yeah, I would have them as my favorite, maybe my fa- in the favorites category for sure, at the very least. See, on the note of the empty stadiums, I didn't enjoy it as a as a viewer. It gave me anxiety yeah. flashbacks to 2020, of course. But I wonder how players feel about it. The ones I've spoken to say, you know, the fans are so important. You really want a good atmosphere. It's really important to have fans backing you and to have the stadium full. But being able to hear your teammates and your coach, there must be a strategic advantage to that, Taylor. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it probably is a really... Well, it depends who the coach is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. Uh, but I also think, like, if you're used to the... You know, Klopp talked about that, about how not having the atmosphere of the crowd held Liverpool back at times. And so much of the way they want to play with the high-intensity, high-pressing system does 
like not nece- not necessitate, but it is very much aided by having the crowd there to pick them up and keep them going and kind of provide that energy. And if you don't have it, I imagine it is a little bit jarring at times, especially if you make a big play and you just sort of get up and carry on. If anything, I think it requires your teammates and your and your coaches to be more vocal to help you kind of stay at that level. But I appreciate it just because you can hear so much more communication and sometimes even the tone of it. As I said, you can hear Nogglesman with the, the kind of high-pitched screaming, but you can also just tell when suddenly everybody is yelling for Barcelona that like, oh, no one knows what they're supposed to be doing right now and they're about to concede. And that is exactly what happened on at least one occasion. Yeah. Uh, Graham, I won't put you on the spot again to ask about the uh, Ukrainian team that finished bottom of this group. I will ask you a little <laughs> bit about Benfica, though. As I say, through to the fir- uh, group stage for the first time in a few years, joining Sporting uh, in the group stage as well. What did you make of them coming in second in this group? Yeah, I think they have been pretty impressive and pretty uh, pretty consistent all the way through. And similar to uh, Sporting, I'd, I'd have to say, I think they've got a lot of... Um, good players who maybe could go on to you know to, to bigger things so you look at their front line that, that they played against Dinamo Kiev I think all three players have had really good Champions League campaigns Yamchuk getting uh, one of the goals in that game against Kiev you know Rafa has had a, a good uh, campaign as well PC on, on, on the right side and I just think they have a good balance of, of younger players and then experienced players Vertonghen, Otamendi who I think there were a lot of questions about Nicolas Otamendi over you know, towards the end of his Manchester City career, there have also been a couple shaky moments I've seen from him in Benfica. But generally speaking, I think he has uh, he's he's proved himself as a solid option. So they've got they've got good experience. You know, um, Vigel in the centre midfield as well, Yamario. So I, I do think they are. I, I would be surprised if they make it beyond the round of sixteen, but they definitely um, deserve their place. Absolutely. Group F, Manchester United finishing top of that one. We don't know as we record who is going to be second because Villarreal and Atalanta are going to be battling out in Bergamo, uh, hopefully on Thursday night after their game was snowed off on Wednesday. Apparently they even painted the touchlines red to increase visibility. I'd like to have seen a game with red touchlines. We didn't get to see that, though it was postponed. Um, Taylor, I'll come to you as our resident Manchester United Uh uh, sympathiser. Uh, what have you made of them here? Uh, do you do you have higher hopes for them with the uh, change of regime? Uh, did not watch this game, and yes is my answer. Uh, I, I had a feeling this was not going to be the most exciting game, and that's pretty much how that went down. Lots of experimentation with this one, uh, and maybe some lessons we already thought we knew learned in the form of Aaron Wan-Bissaka maybe can't do the right wing-back job that Ralph Rangnick wants him yeah. to do. Uh, I think it will be good for him to get that sort of Luke Shaw, Alex Tellish treatment of, oh, I have competition now and that person might be ahead of me. I guess I got to kind of refocus myself because I completely forgot that he was a winger with Palace before he moved to fullback. So he could do it uh, and maybe he will. But I think my favorite moment of this game that I did see was Robbie Savage uh, commentating when his son subbed on. And uh, first of all, credit to Robbie Savage for naming his son Charlie. Charlie Savage is a solid name. I hope he goes on to uh, great things. But just also cool to see the kind of emotion and the pride come through in just the way Robbie Savage talked about his son and to see him get that debut was pretty cool Charles Savage <laughs> that's that's movie star name, it really it? is it feels like a name yeah. that like Charles not like uh there's the SNL joke about like his real name was like Charles Snurpus and he changed it to Savage and now he got a bunch of gigs 
Excellent stuff. Uh, Joe, as I mentioned, we don't know uh, if Villarreal or Atalanta claimed that second spot, but Atalanta, they are in third place as we speak. They've been pretty impressive this season. Any thoughts on either of those two teams? Me gusta, Atalanta. I haven't seen a lot of Viral in La Liga Spanish so far Italian. this season, so I'm not, I'm not able. Yeah, you like They're that translation? basically the same, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, romance languages and all that, whatever, yeah. I haven't seen a ton of Viral, so I, I'm not really going to speak to them, but Atalanta, man, when they're on, they are one of the most fun teams in Europe. They are a blast to watch. They're crazy. They're chaotic under Gasparini. You can expect a lot of weirdness when you watch Atalanta, and so for that reason... I hope when listeners are listening to this that we see them advancing to the next round, but at the very least, we'll see them in the Europa League. I, I, I can speak a little bit to, to Villarreal, given how, that I've watched them in the Liga this season. They, they have not been impressive at all this season, and so if they go through to the last 16 of the Champions League, um, I think that will bring a, a bit of relief to Unai Emery, who is, who's under pressure. Um, and, and really, I do wonder if he's beginning to think he should have taken that, that Newcastle United job, because I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that he's out of a job by the time the new year comes. They're sitting in 13th in, in La Liga at the moment. And a statistic here that um, you know kind of encapsulates a lot of the problems with a, a, many of the Spanish teams this season, if Villarreal don't go through this evening, and as we, that, ha- that match hasn't taken place at the time of recording, um, La Liga will have just two teams in the Champions League last 16, um, which has only happened once before, um, and that was the 2011-12 season, and uh, that that's once in the last 16 years. So that tells you how weak the Spanish teams are at the moment. Which is crazy, because not too long ago... When La Liga had like five teams in the Champions League, I think it was the year that the first year that Leicester were in the Champions League, they had like four or five in it into like almost the quarterfinals. Like they might have had three of four quarterfinalist positions, and that's happened with England before, certainly. But it's just strange to see how much things have changed to this point, where we would assume Madrid will continue or Real Madrid will continue to make a run. We would assume Atleti will be okay at least for some of the knockout round, but still strange to see it be only two. Uh, making it to the knockout round. And Taylor, a quick note on young boys, if you will. We were given some high hopes of them at match day one with Jordan Peefock getting the winner against Manchester United, but didn't quite deliver afterwards. They did not. Uh, He was in there. He was in there. They got the draw. That counts. It was nice to see David Wagner be excited and happy. I don't think I've seen that very many times in the times that I've seen him on the touchline. So that was a positive. Uh, I don't think they can take a lot more away aside from the fact that they got that draw and five points in a group with Manchester United, Villarreal and Atalanta is nothing to sneeze at. No Europa League for them, but I'm sure they will be back next season. He says not having looked at their table at all. They're fourth. Maybe they won't be back next season. We'll see what happens. We shall see Peefock with two goals in the group stage, though. All right, Groups g and coming up after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking Champions League group stages. We come to Group G, the group that least interests me. But how do we <laughs> all feel about this one? Lille and Rebel Salzburg going through in the top two spots. Sevilla getting the Europa League spot. And Wolfsburg, they are out of there, Joseph Lowry. How do we feel about Lille on top, Joe? I love it. They've, they're through in this group, in a weird group, right? Ryan, you kind of hit at that with your intro there. Not a lot of traditional powerhouses in here. I mean, Sevilla is a traditional Europa League powerhouse, but not a Champions League powerhouse. Lille's been one of the best defensive teams in the competition so far. They only allowed four goals in six games. That's kind of their MO as a group is to defend first and to, to really attack in transition. And it worked for them. I'm curious to see what, what their next game looks like and, and who they are drawn against because I don't think they'll be moving too much further, but an interesting storyline nonetheless. And then, I know you didn't ask me about them, Ryan, but I'm going to talk about them anyway. RB Salzburg, advancing out of the knockout, advancing into the knockout stages, excuse me, for the first time ever in their club history. 33-year-old Matthias Jasle is doing some really impressive things with Salzburg. Former Hoffenheim defender, retired due to injuries, coached in the Salzburg youth system, moved over to Denmark, then came back to Austria to coach uh, FC Liefering. That's RB Salzburg's feeder team in the Austrian second division, I believe. And then after Jesse Marsh moved over to Leipzig, Matthias Jasla became the new coach of RB Salzburg at only 33 years old. So there's a lot of, of fascinating things happening there. They're playing well. I am very curious to see what happens with them. I know this is lazy analysis, but if you're going to name your clubs the same names, then I'm going to run with it. Joe, I, I don't know if you were you were with me on this one, but there were moments in that game where I was thinking, like, I wonder if Leipzig wished they'd made it to January and then just, like, announced a swap deal where they were sending Jesse Marsh back to Salzburg and then Jasla would move to RB Leipzig and away they'd go because he has done a very impressive job with this Salzburg team and made it to the knockout round, a thing that uh, other Salzburg managers were not able to do. So I share your enthusiasm for him and I wonder where he ends up in the Bundesliga next. Indeed. And I was dismissive of this group. There is an American interest in this group as well, isn't there, Joe, of course? Oh, of course. And and you hit at that some in the introduction to this show. Yeah. Nine Americans playing in the group stage. Christian Pulisic, Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams, Dest, Pifak, Stefan, Brooks, Wea, Aronson. This group had those last three players all in it. Brooks, the only one not advancing of Wea and Aronson and himself. Five of the of the US nine players in general moving on to the knockout rounds. Record numbers, and it would have even been it would have been more if Gio Reyna had been healthy and if a couple other guys had been healthy and involved with their clubs. So it's cool to see as someone who spends a lot of time watching and thinking about American soccer, it's good to see a lot of these folks and an increasing number of players being involved in the biggest competition in the world. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. I do like to see Lille and Rebel Salzburg going through Graham, but not good news for the folks of Seville this one. No, not at all. And to be honest, I think Sevilla not qualifying from this group is a bit of a catastrophe for them. I know in Spain and generally there's been a lot of focus on Barcelona not making it out of their Champions League group, and understandably so given the size of that club. But I think given the context of where Sevilla are at the moment and their development, what their ambitions are at the moment, the quality and pedigree of this group, not to be disrespectful to the other three teams in, in, in this group, I do think it's it's really poor that they're not going to be in the last 16 of the Champions League this season. One win from uh, six matches is not really good enough for a team that has ambitions of challenging for the Spanish title this season. Uh, but then I guess you can't really separate Sevilla from the Europa League. It's a footballing love story at this point. <laughs> uh, they always get drawn back into that competition one way or another. Or, or another. 
I think um, I watched Sevilla quite a bit in the Champions League this season. I think every game they played just seemed to be very chaotic. And I think that would be the most disappointing thing for Lopetegui is they just didn't seem to have much control against teams that, again, no disrespect to the competition, but they they probably should be better than in, in this group. And I think the red card shown to uh, Joan Jordan in, in the, the, the game this week against Salzburg kind of proved that, that chaotic factor where he ends up chasing an opponent, opponent on a on a counter-attack, bringing them down. And I just think the, the qualities that have made Sevilla so good under Loptegui in La Liga and the thing that has many people, they are, they're not quite there at the moment, but a few weeks ago people were saying Sevilla could really win the title this season. The qualities that have them at that level in the Liga just completely deserted them in the Champions League and it's, and it's difficult to explain why that was the case. No bueno Sevilla and nick so good Wolfsburg who finished bottom of this group as well and they, after starting pretty strongly uh, domestically Wolfsburg uh, down in 8th uh, the Bundesliga table tells me. Group H last but not least Juventus topping that one and Chelsea um, reneging on the chance to top that group with a bonkers 3-3 draw against Zenit St. Petersburg on Wednesday. Zenit who go through in the Europa League spot and Malmo. Bye-bye, Malmo. Uh, who should we go to? Taylor, what did you make of this group? Uh, what did you think about uh, Chelsea and their predicament here? Not not so hot at the moment. They're having a, a few um, questionable performances lately. Yeah, and Thomas Tuchel made that clear. I know Graham's got some thoughts on that what I will say is that I understand his frustration because Chelsea go 1-0 up they let Zenit take a 2-1 lead I shouldn't say they let but Zenit take a 2-1 lead at lead Chelsea then come back 3-2 then they give it up at the very late moments with the header off of the Zuba headed win we should point that out the gigantic Russian forward was in there but I get why Tuchel would be frustrated not just because they let it slip away because there's still some sort of cracks showing here and there, but because that draw means they finished second. If they got the win, they would have finished top of the group. And because they're behind Juve, the way the draw works, they can't Chelsea get an English team. They cannot get Juve in the next round since they were in the same group. And that basically means they can get Lille, which I'm assuming they would be rooting for, or the only other three teams would be Ajax, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich. So they really put themselves into a difficult position, potentially 75% chance that they're getting a very difficult team in the first round. Oh, they're getting Lille, aren't they? They probably are. <sighs> There's a few that feel inevitable. I think uh, Man United getting Salzburg feels like it's going to happen. That would <laughs> That would not surprise me. And then, yes, Chelsea sort of managing to avoid one of those big teams that said Chelsea and Bayern seem sort of destined to be drawn against each other so we'll yeah. see what happens and and Arsenal are getting Bayern Munich yeah as well <laughs> somehow City I don't know Shakhtar too definitely at some point <laughs> yeah. I think uh, yeah um what what did we make uh, uh, uh Graham of Chelsea from your perspective and uh finishing second behind Juventus here I'm finding Chelsea very interesting at the moment because they were they started the season so strongly and um, to borrow a, a phrase that I, I used about Sevilla, the qualities that previously made them so good have, have kind of des- deserted them. They've conceded six goals in their last two games, those last two games being um, the defeat at West Ham and now this draw against Zenit since Peter, St. Petersburg. And I can understand why Tuchel was so angry after this game. I think the, the most baffling thing about Chelsea right now is how vulnerable they are through the centre of their midfield and through their defence in particular. That's how West Ham and Zenit got at them um, in those two matches, and is that just the is that just the Angolo Kante effect? Obviously, he is. A, we all know he's a very important player for Chelsea, but 
I am surprised at how taking him out that team has just has disintegrated that structure that they had in the center of the of the pitch. And when he comes back, will they just pick up their levels again? Is that how that's that's going to work? Can they rely on him to be fit over the whole season? Because that has been a, a question of Kante over the last two, three seasons, as he's not been able to maintain his fitness very well. And there are questions over how Lukaku is being used at the moment. Havertz is... I'm a massive fan of Kai Havertz, um, but he's he's struggling to find his role in this team. And a lot of Chelsea's attacking play is dependent on, or seems to be dependent on, Mason Mount being fit. And for a team with such depth, it's a bit of a concerning place for them to be where both defensively and in the attack, they're relying on, well, two players. I would say Kante and Mount. I expect Rudiger would also be one of those players as well. So two or three players they seem to be utterly dependent on. And and Tuchel, for the first time, he's only been in charge. He's he's not even been in charge for a year, which seems insane to me. Um, he seems to have packed a lot into that time. But in that year, this seems like the first time he's faced some genuine questions. And and Graham, I think that is the most interesting thing, maybe for me to come out of this final round of games, is what will happen with Tuchel. Because when he moves, uh, from, when he goes from PSG to Chelsea uh, and has the run he does, has the, the success he does, and I would say earned at that. I'm not trying to diminish that. But I remember Dortmund fans and I remember uh, members of the German media just saying, like, wait until there's a hiccup and then see how it goes. Because that is, Tuchel is, I guess, by reputation, not the most, like, friendly, jovial of personalities. And so when you're winning, I think sort of that demanding personality is excused or can be sort of like look past because you're getting the results, you're playing well, we're winning the Champions League, who cares? But once you start to have those hiccups, does that start to grind a little bit? Does it start to rub against the t- the players and the atmosphere turns south? I think that would be premature to say that's what's going to happen here. We're still talking about a Chelsea team that are in third, two points from the top behind Man City, one point behind Liverpool. I think they will be just fine. But this would be the moment that I think a lot of pundits in Germany were pointing to as let's see what happens when his back is against the wall, when things do seem to be taking a turn. And it seems like in that post-match presser, there was a little bit of an indication that that frustration was starting to get to him a little bit. Joseph, a word on Juventus. Um, this team, lest we forget, has been built to try and win this competition for some time now. They've put a lot of investment, a lot of time into it, a lot of branding into it, if you will. Uh, this isn't the um, top-tier European competition their chairman and owner was necessarily wanting to be in at the moment, <laughs> but it is the one they are in. And uh, what do you think? A deep run on the cards for Juve? I I don't think so, Ryan. They've been good, but not great through the group stage. They only scored ten goals in this group, which is which is fine, right? It's a lot more goals than at least a handful of other teams scored in the group stage. But when your group has Zenit and Malmo in it, two teams that are not European powerhouses by any stretch of the imagination, you expect there to be more offensive production, and that's been a problem in the league as well. They're twelfth in Serie A in terms of goals scored this season. I know that's me expanding the the conversation slightly, but it does hit at some of my concerns about this team. Defensively, they are relatively solid. And even in terms of attack, they're good, but they're not great. And if, if this is supposed to be the year, and I don't think anyone's really saying that, but if this is supposed to be the year that Juve win this whole thing, I think a lot of people are barking up the wrong tree. All right, that is the Champions League group stage analyzed congratulations Jez. why don't we talk a little bit about the draw which is coming up on monday curious quote from rizzio pochettino who says if you want to win the champions league you should not be focused on the draw the question is not who will be the next opponent but to win um poch 
Sure about that, bro? I feel like you need to be <laughs> fairly focused on who your opponent's going to be. And for example, if you're in Chelsea's boots and you could have a 75% chance of a of a fairly elite opponent. Joe, what do you make of Poch's uh, stance there? I think the quote was supposed to be, uh, if you want to win the UEFA Champions League, you should not be focused on the draw unless you draw Bayern Munich and then you should be panicked. And, and then you shouldn't <laughs> even be really thinking about what's going to happen because you should already know. This is, I mean, I get the intent, right? He's saying, focus on the next game as a concept. Don't worry so much about who the team is. Yes, prepare for them tactically. Get your team ready. But it shouldn't matter who's standing in your way. You want to go and you want to beat them. Still, I think the draw is fascinating just as a neutral and and someone who enjoys talking about soccer and and thinking about those games. And I do think it is a pretty big sway. It can have a big advantage for teams that get an easier draw and a disadvantage for teams that get stuck with, again, Bayern Munich. Maybe maybe Pochettino just wants a surprise. Like, no, 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 I don't want to know. I I want it to be a surprise. Just whoever turns up on the night in late February, like, it's it's a complete surprise. (laughs) Oh, I'd love it if he turns up in a blindfold and it's an away game and he doesn't even know where he's gone on the plane. That'd be wonderful. Or he he wants to be told in the form of the Wikipedia game. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, I'm in, I'm in. (laughs) I suppose he's got to make it interesting somehow for himself with that squad he's got, hey? Um, Why don't we finish up with some knee-jerk predictions? We've got a few teams looking very strong. We've got three teams with 100% records in this tournament already. Uh, Taylor, I feel like Liverpool are going to win the Champions League. Discuss. Uh, My discussion will be, hey, Ryan, why do you feel that way? Because they're very good at the soccers. Uh, ah. They are very good at the Champions League. <laughs> I just feel like they're, um, you know, Bayern Munich obviously a contender, Manchester City contender, blah, 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 and so on. I don't know. My, my knee is jerking in the direction of Jurgen Klopp, Taylor. I can't really put my finger on it. I can pour some cold water on that one for you uh, because <laughs> we are reaching the point of the season when the fixtures start to pile up. And I, I think I'm correct in saying that thus far Liverpool have avoided any major, major injuries, which was definitely not the case at this point last season. So if they do run into, say, a center back injury or one of their main central midfielders getting hurt or when they lose Salah and uh, Keita to African Cup of Nations, does that domestic form, does the kind of struggle there, if there is one, bleed into Champions League, Salah and Mane will be back from African Cup of Nations by the start of the knockout round. But I would say that would be the only thing is the kind of consistent questions about Liverpool's depth. But I share your opinion, Ryan, that Liverpool quite good at the soccers and I think will (laughs) be one of my favorites. I would say Bayern Munich very much in that conversation as well for all the reasons we've already talked about. I would love to include Ajax, but my sneaky, completely random prediction is that they're going to get Atleti and it's going to be pragmatic Atleti kind of breaking... uh, like idealistic Ajax, uh, <laughs> physically and mentally. You're making Crushing me sad. Soul. You're making me sad, Taylor. You're making me very sad. Pragmatic's one word for it. That's for yeah. Sure. Um, Graham, your thoughts on who's going to dominate in the group in the knockout? Excuse me, stages. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to bring any new ideas to the table. Liverpool and Bayern Munich are the two teams that I would pick out as uh, the strongest at this point. Taylor is absolutely right. All the reasons that he's just said are why I would maybe um, caveat. Liverpool as as a candidate, equally Bayern Munich. I do worry about that that high line that they play a lot, and I do wonder how PSG, for instance, would uh, maybe exploit that through Mbappe. I also have concerns over. I'm actually a big Upamecano fan, but I can't deny at this point that he has a pro- propensity for 
chaotic performances on the big occasion so maybe he's an individual concern I would have so yeah th- those two teams for me and Ajax have the best kits in the tournament so you know I'm gonna put them forward as well Graham oh. I have a, and some decent players I have, a, I have a question for you that I hope makes sense uh le- we're trying to find reasons like why there could be vulnerabilities with say Liverpool if I asked you to look at these 16 teams and tell me like find a reason why they make might get knocked out early or might not make it, make it to the final which team do you think you have the hardest time finding a a weakness for? I think I think Liverpool. Yeah, because with with you're absolutely right. They, they haven't had injuries. They maybe don't have the depth of some other teams. But that that's a hypothetical situation. You know that might not happen. Whereas Bayern Munich, their weakness is something that we can see, and it happens in a lot of matches. It's it's a real thing at this point. So I, I think Liverpool. Yeah, and as much as, you know, theoretically, uh, Liverpool could have a centre-back injury, they've never been troubled by that kind of thing before, of course, and they have got AFCON coming up. Um, you know, that could kind of bad luck could happen to any team. Bayern Munich got a few players doing their own research, shall we say, at the moment, for example. So who knows? Joe, I come to you. You love a prediction. What's it going to be? It's Bayern for me, in case listeners hadn't picked up on that yet. Liverpool, number two in, in my list of favorites. I don't have nearly as much concern about the high line as, as some other folks do. This, this team can be beaten defensively, of course, but every top team that presses and, and plays really aggressive soccer can be as well. So the talent they have and the numbers they've been putting up and just how much they dominated their group, it's Bayern Munich. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Listener, thank you so much for joining us on this Champions League Odyssey. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for showing up on time. RB Salzburg all the way, baby. (laughs) Graham Rudman, thank you so much, sir. (laughs) No problem, Ryan. And Joe Lowry. Thanks. You got it, Ryan. Listener, bye! 